Hello there and welcome back to another episode of Straight Talk. I'm Nikki Shields and uh, pleased to say that I am returning to the hot seat, taking the reins back off Saunders. Saunders, thanks very much for standing in. Now for our regular listeners and also our viewers on YouTube, you'll probably notice that we've had to adjust our usual setup for obvious reasons. Uh, Yes, we are all in self-isolation. But the good news is we are going ahead and we've got some awesome guests, but dialing in from around the world to be with you today. Now, today's a pretty special day, 22nd of April, because on this day, every year since 1970, we've celebrated Earth Day. Yes, it's the 50th anniversary of Earth Day. And usually perhaps people might do things like not drive and cycle and walk instead. Or perhaps they'd go out and plant a tree or maybe just plant a flower box or do something to celebrate Earth Day. But this year, obviously, it's going to be a little bit different, slightly more challenging, shall we say. But I've got some really amazing guests who are going to help me get excited about Earth Day and we're going to find out what they're doing to celebrate. So without further ado, please welcome Gareth Dean, co-founder of Non-Plastic Beach. Alongside Gareth is Julia Palais, the senior sustainability consultant at Formula E. And last but by no means least, of course, we have the boss, Mahindra Racing Boss, Dilbag Gill. Guys, welcome and thank you so much for joining me today. Now, Gareth, let's start off with you, because I mentioned that you're the co-founder of Non-Plastic Beach. For people that haven't heard of it, tell us, what do you do? What is Non-Plastic Beach? So we we set up to offer alternatives to single-use plastic for bathroom and kitchen. We were inspired by visiting friends in Mauritius and seeing that even in a, a small island, they were managing to reduce plastic there with uh, they were using sort of proper compostable plastic bags, refusing straws, that kind of thing. And when we got home, we thought we want to reduce our plastic. And, and we sort of found that actually a lot of the alternatives to plastic weren't very good um, or they arrived wrapped in bubble wrap or covered in plastic tape or that kind of thing. So we wanted us to offer people good quality products, which um are not covered in plastic, don't arrive in plastic, that kind of thing. So, uh, you know, we offer Bamboo toothbrushes, bamboo cotton buds, shampoo bars, um, ref- cleaning product refills, that kind of thing. And we work with retailers, but we also send direct all over the world. And I think we've sent to 90 countries now. So it's, uh, yeah, it's here, there and everywhere. Wow. And how long ago did you start this? Because you actually, you've got quite an interesting background because you actually originally worked in the automotive industry, um, leading programs for electrification for, was it Nissan and Jaguar Land Rover? Yes. So, uh, yeah, my background is all automotive and a little bit of motorsport actually originally, uh, but mainly electric cars for uh, for sort of the last uh, eight years before I took voluntary redundancy actually from Jaguar Land Rover to uh, concentrate on non-plastic beach. But yeah, we were, we were founded in October 2018. That's when we went live to the public. We'd been obviously working on it for some time before that. And uh, I took voluntary redundancy from Jaguar Land Rover in March last year. So it's actually just been the anniversary of uh, of me leaving. And uh, yeah, a, a year of, of working working with my wife um, on the business. And, uh, <laughs> Is that the um, 
<laughs> Absolutely. No, uh, in case she's listening. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it's been it's been amazing. You know, we're, we're a young business, um, but we've we've done a lot. So, you know, we, it, we, we like to say anyway. Um, yeah. So but yeah, I was I was at Jaguar Land Rover concentrating on plug in vehicles. I was the, the voice of the customer to engineering, um, which is basically upsetting engineers all day by telling them you don't necessarily agree with their their course of action. Um, before that, I was a European electric vehicle communications manager for Nissan. Gosh, so a very, very different role, basically jumping. <laughs> it, it, yes, very much so. I mean, both yeah. sustainability connected. So there are some crossovers, but yes, it is quite diff- different. Yeah. Have you been going around to all the engineers that you used to work with, giving them soap that they can use? Yes. Yeah. Um, obviously, they're all having to wash their hands a lot now. So uh, we're able to give them some palm oil free soap to do it with. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I look forward to I will um, have a chat to the other two for a minute, but I look forward to coming back to you. And, um, and also, you can probably help us, I think, help hopefully everyone listening as well do our bit today being Earth Day. We need to all, I guess, accept a few challenges today, and um, well, well, I'll touch. I'll touch upon that with you in a, in a moment, Gareth. But Julia, let's have a, a quick chat with you because Julia, you have been part of Formulary pretty much since the beginning. Back in, I think you joined in 2014, being responsible for the sustainability of a sustainable racing championship is a pretty big responsibility, isn't it? Well, I suppose I'd love to know where your passion for sustainability came from and what does your job entail? Well, um, I mean, I think I've, I've always been really passionate for sustainability and uh, I also studied sustainability. So I'm, I'm, I'm initially a sustainability expert and I just happened to start my career in motorsport. And I guess that when you start in motorsport, like you get hooked and, and, and that's the end of the story. You, you stay there. And I think that's when I had this, uh, this opportunity to join Formula E. Um, I mean, that was the best way to combine really my sustainability passion with uh, the environment I was working in. Like, I mean, what else, what best can you have when you you, when you work in motorsport and you do sustainability, then joining the most sustainable championship that uh, that is existing in this uh, in this planet, and and again the value proposition being that uh, I mean it's not that uh, we needed to have a new racing series. We we implemented and we created Formula E because there there was this need to advance electrification globally. So um, I mean that's why um, I mean sustainability is so at the heart and at the D- the DNA of the championship really. So yeah, really exciting, really challenging, really important and really glad that our journey has been evolving so much uh, over the last, uh, well, six seasons now. Because, um, I mean, you and you look at all the different elements of Formula E and, and try and make each individual one more sustainable, you know, whether that's from getting rid of the single-use plastic bottles to some of the trackside signage that's now all um, sustainably made. But Formula E, obviously, we talk about it as a sustainable racing championship, but obviously we come up against this argument all the time. But how can you be sustainable if you're flying, you know, hundreds of people around the world and building tracks in city centers? Um, And I think it's Alejandro Gag, he always uses this uh, analogy. It's like, well, you need to break the eggs before you can make the omelette. Um, I don't know if you've come up against it quite a lot, um, but what's your argument uh, against people that say Formula E can't be sustainable because we do travel around to, you know, to all these city centres and I guess we have a, a large carbon footprint? 
I mean, the the first thing is to be very open and honest about that. Uh, we have a footprint like any human activity, and uh, be be sure that we measure that footprint and we we continually take measures to reduce it. And uh, as you were mentioning, like the the plastic reduction with um, I mean the, what we've implemented with Allianz uh, in order to phase out of uh, plastic bottles. And since season five, we saved the equivalent of three thousand um, three hundred thousand sorry plastic bottles. Uh, I mean, is something that obviously is, is very tangible. And, and that's a real reduction measure. But obviously, I mean, if you look at the pure emission perspective, Formula E has a footprint, but I think that's beyond the footprint of what the event is. Uh, the most important is, is the potential and the power of the platform itself. If you look at the fact that uh, globally uh, and at the moment, uh, uh, electric cars represent 1%, imagine kind of like the, the scope of like the opportunity that we have to, to really use our platform and advance electrification globally. And I think that's a really why Formula E is important because, uh, I mean, beyond the fact that Formula E is a great platform to advance the, the technology, it's really the power of the perception that we're bringing. And this is why we have so many interesting teams that have joined us because, uh, I mean, we, we represent an opportunity in, in all these markets to advance and touch the heart and the mind of millions of people that are going to see themselves tomorrow, already today would be great, uh, electric vehicle drivers. Yeah, it's the shot window, isn't it, to electrification for the rest of the world? I think hopefully we're here to prove that electric cars, although they, they have come on a huge, um, a huge way in the last five years, but you know, electric cars are fast, they're powerful, they're fun, yeah. exciting to watch. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's probably you should probably explain what it is, but were you not responsible for achieving third-party ISO, I think it's 2121 certification? 2201, correct, yes. Yeah. So the, this one is called basically a sustainable event certification. So uh, this is the international standards. Uh, and I mean, for those that are familiar with ISO standard, that's really kind of like the, the highest standards uh, globally that exist. And there's one that is uh, specific for sustainable events. And this is something that we've achieved, uh, I mean, a couple of seasons ago, so back in season four. And this is something that is very important because that's really the backbone of the sustainability strategy of Formula E. So all the environmental, um, I mean, reduction efforts, but also all the social uh, uh, inclusion efforts that we've made. And also, um, I mean, uh, being very honest, like it's it's really a third party at the highest level that is saying that our events uh, are walking the talk of uh, of what we're trying to achieve. So really pushing sustainability lifestyle and, uh, and change uh, globally. Wow. I mean, that's amazing. Congratulations, because that can't have been easy to achieve. (laughs) A bit of work. Hard, challenging, but very rewarding, I'm sure. (laughs) And Dilbag, I'm sorry, we've kept you waiting in the wings there. Uh, How's it going? Um, How how are you going to be celebrating Earth Day this year to put you on the spot? Uh, Are you going to be, you know, I don't know, walking somewhere, cycling, not driving, How's Mahindra and, and how are you going to be celebrating Earth Day? Well, me personally, I think I'm going to be working in the garden. <laughs> yeah, so I enjoy it. That's that's a personal passion of mine. We have, we are lucky to have a small garden around home, and the way we have sort of built where we live is a is a sustainable home. So when I built this home ten years ago, it was one of I think the first lead certified homes in Boston. It's a lead gold home. So even the plantings which we have had around the house 
our environment or sustainable friendly. So we don't have much of a lawn because, you know, grass takes a lot more water. So a lot of the plantings around, I think. So I'm looking at putting in the annuals, which spring is going to be starting. So yeah, that's, that's my project on Earth Day. Oh, well, who knew? The bad girl's got green fingers. <laughs> and when you say small garden, I'm guessing it's it's quite a lot bigger than my small garden. Uh, well, it's yeah, it's it's reasonably good. It can keep me occupied for a couple of weeks. Yeah, a couple of weeks. <laughs> I work slowly. I work very slowly. <laughs> I think you can get my around my garden in about five seconds. <laughs> No, but it, it is a great day. And actually, okay, that, that moves on to the next thing because I would like all three of you to kind of set a challenge for everyone that is listening or watching this episode of Straight Talk. What should we all be doing? What should we challenge ourselves today to celebrate Earth Day? Who wants to kick it off? I, I'm happy to go first. I think yeah, what we try and encourage people to do is change one thing at a time. I think there's a temptation when you go into plastic reduction and things like that to try and do everything at the same time. And A, that tends to end up with people throwing away perfectly good plastic items that haven't are not life expired yet Um, and also it can be a bit overwhelming so if you change one thing in your life that's going to reduce the amount of plastic that you are throwing away or recycling but it's actually downcycling that that would be a massive thing to take forward from from earth day i like it that's that is a great one julia what would you add I would probably kind of like give a tip rather than challenging. I think that there are kind of like a couple of good things that uh, are really achievable and that uh, on an individual level can make a, a big difference if kind of like all of us start doing it. So um, I think that uh, people need to think about the type of energy that they use at home. And I think what Dilba was saying, like having a lead certified house is, is absolutely amazing. So uh, not going to that extent, but uh, I mean, think about maybe switching to a re- renewable energy provider. Uh, everyone can do it. It's almost the same price. It's it's quite easy. Think about the way, um, I mean, the, what you put in your in your plate uh, and maybe think about maybe eating a bit less meat um, on, a, on a weekly basis. It's going to have also a huge impact in the global carbon footprint. Um, and it's also quite good for your health, to be fair. And the last thing is think about you, the way you use transportation. Do you need do you really need to kind of like take your car? Uh, maybe you can walk and you can bike or are you ready to change your car? And that's the time to consider an alternative and maybe buying an electric car. So, uh, yeah, just uh, just uh, make some kind of like uh, small choices and be mindful of these. Yeah. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, obviously, given if we were under different circumstances, not using a car is always quite a big one, I think, on, on Earth Day. People tend to either try and walk or cycle, but actually we're, we're kind of all already doing that at the moment. So there is, there is a small positive to us all being <laughs> isolated at home and not being allowed to drive our cars. And, you know, there are obviously fewer flights happening at the moment. You know, there is um, this amazing reduction in our carbon footprint. And hopefully this gives everyone an opportunity to realise that it's actually really enjoyable to go for a bike ride and go for a walk. And we don't always have to use our cars. It's more positive anyway. Um, now, Dilbeg, you, um, well, I think it was, was it season five? that you guys were in New York and you had a bit of a head-to-head against Envision Virgin Racing. You were on a rooftop farm and you were making smoothies by pedaling bikes. 
Do you remember that one? <laughs> I do remember it because it hurts me a little bit. We lost that competition. Yeah. Oh, okay. oh I'm so yeah. sorry. I shouldn't have brought that one up. <laughs> yeah, but it was good fun, I guess. In the end of the day, these guys yeah. did. We have to make made some made smoothies. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But I guess you, you know, Amahindra, you've always tried to be making these like positive messages, I suppose. Wasn't there quite a special campaign that you launched at the beginning of this season? Can you tell us about um, how it all came about? Well, uh, the way we were looking at it in the beginning of the season was, okay, what what is a purposeful change we can make right now and how can we impact? And we started to look at our immediate environment back in India, which, as you know, is has, I think, like 10 of the most polluted cities in the world and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And uh, the pressure on our resources in our country is quite heavy because of the amount of population trying to take uh, live on our resources. So one thought we had was, how can we sort of try and tie up the championship and something which we can do? And, you know, Formula has got this unique thing called Fan Boost, where people vote for the favorite drivers. And we obviously are keen to get those Fan Boost votes because it does make a difference at racing. We said, okay, let's try and tie up a thing which can give performance for the team, which is Fan Boost, back to a sort of a social responsibility thing. We said, okay, we will plant a tree for every Fan Boost vote we get. And we know this could be a significant number because we expect over the period of a championship, over a regular championship, uh, like there would be maybe in the uh, like high six digits, maybe low seven digit uh, number of votes coming. And so we would be looking at trying to put in a hundred, couple of hundred thousand trees over this period of time. And the way we looked at it, Nikki, was you can start by planting a tree. And as formerly has this regulation where you can sort of fan boost twice a day over a period of seven to eight days. So let's just take it's an average of my math is bad. So 14 votes per race into 14 races. So it's like 256 trees. So you can actually start with one tree. And by the end of the season, you can have your own forest. And that's where we're basically looking at it. like Start with a tree, finish with a forest. And that was our, I think, contribution. We're trying to do that as a contribution this year. That's absolutely fantastic. What a brilliant idea. And gosh, if you thought, so if you do that across the whole season, what if then all the other teams did it? And then within Formula E, and then what if all the other teams in motorsport did it? You know, That would be a, a huge number. How's your maths on that? Well, I can't keep up with that. Yeah, uh, like I've done that. But as just as an FYI, the Mahindra group over the last, I think, eight to nine years has planted 16 million trees in India. Gosh, one six, yeah, absolutely huge. Yeah. Wow, because there's there's um, some other interesting, I guess, campaigns taking place in India that the Mahindra Group are part of. Are there any others that you can talk about? Well, I think sustainability as a group is a, is quite serious, and yeah. I have my boss man, Mister Mahindra, who takes it really seriously, and he was sort of uh, brought on to the F, uh, formerly Sustainability Committee a couple of years ago. So I basically took it as a challenge. I said, if my boss is sitting on the table, I need to make him look good. So we were the first team in Formula E to go and get ourselves accredited for our sustainable practices. And I think there's just a second team in the motorsport world worldwide. And not only we went and got the the basic minimal level of accreditation, but we've gone to the second tier of a three-tier process. So we've basically taken a lot of initiative at Mahindra to Mm -hmm. be sort of a forefront uh, on this side because we do believe small changes and these are all small changes which can make a big impact. Yeah. Uh, like what Julia has started, and I think which we really admire is uh, the single-use bottles which we've sort of been uh, destroyed. I still remember it was, I think, season three, where myself and our cl- – we have a, a climate manager in a team, 
a person called Claudia Corradini, who a lot of people do know in motorsport, yeah. who takes this very seriously. So we actually sat down after a race and we counted the number of single-use bottles in our trash can. We had 600 odd bottles in it. So one was, okay, 600 bottles, one race, 14 races, do your math. It's a big number within the team. And the second part also, which we noticed was a lot of these bottles in a race weekend, while your guys are running around doing work, we don't finish the bottle of water before we move to the second one. So a lot of them have a bit of water remaining in it. So not only you're wasting plastic, but you're also wasting water. Yeah. And if you go back to your own says like serve uh, bottles. So I went and instituted a company-wide uh, thing where we got them real high-end, good quality, reusable bottles. People tend to drink it till the end before they refill it. So we don't even waste water. So I think it's it was a dual purpose benefit for ourselves. So those are small steps which we are trying to take as a team. But we've noticed that it all adds up. So yeah, I think Julia likes us as a team. <laughs> Absolutely, I'm a big fan. <laughs> is it? Is it? I mean, I guess it must be so important for you to get the support from the teams. Yes, it's essential because uh, I mean the sustainability message. If you really want to touch kind of like the the millions of fans, uh, it's it's important that it's coming from the teams and especially from the athletes because uh, I mean that's uh, that's where people are really going to be inspired. Uh, if it's uh, if it's me saying it, it it has a value in the ecosystem, but nowhere outside. I mean uh, that's that's really the game changer. When the teams are are jumping on it, that's where you you start a movement. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Uh, Gareth, you've got some sort of, what are they, um, <clears throat> alternative bottles, haven't you, on non-plastic beach? What are your water bottles made of? We've we've done insulated bottles since the start. So I think an insulated bottle is something that helps to, to the point that was made earlier about not finishing drinks. Um, if you can keep drinks hot or cold for a day, then it, A, means you're less mm. likely to go and seek bottled products you know disposable plastic bottled products um and it b means you probably finish it because it doesn't become you know unpleasantly warm or unpleasantly cold <laughs> during the day so that was pretty important to us um and, and and finding good quality bottles you know was as was said is 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 really important as well so you know using stainless steel because it's it's also recyclable um and, and finding a bottle that had basically zero plastic the only plastic in our bottle is uh silicon seal it's not technically not plastic but it's also not a compostable material or a recyclable material but it's a it's one tiny seal the rest of it is bamboo and stainless steel so and it's and it's actual bamboo not not bamboo composite which uh, has been a bit of a problem in the industry where people are saying that uh, a, a plastic cup which uh, has some ground up bamboo in it is suddenly uh, very very sustainable which it really isn't <laughs> Oh gosh. Well, um, that actually brings me on to something that I wanted to ask you about. So you were involved in Etihad's longest plastic-free flight, which I'm very excited about hearing more of because it obviously in Formula E, we travel loads and it drives me mad. The amount of plastic that's used that you can see, even the cups. It's like, why are we using plastic cups? Paper cups are absolutely fine. It's not even things that are really hard to swap. And then when it comes to the food, every single item is wrapped in plastic. And again, it's like, why? But you were involved in this uh, plastic free flight. um, Tell me more about it. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a Massively exciting thing for us, partly because we we were very young as a company, and suddenly Etihad uh, sent us an email and said, "Can you get us some toothpaste to Abu Dhabi?" Um, and yes, of course we can. They did a, a plastic-free flight, uh, single-use plastic-free flight, I and mean, it was on 
Boeing 787, which is made of plastic. So, But it, it was flying from Abu Dhabi to Brisbane in Australia, and they mm-hmm. tried to el- eliminate every single single-use plastic from the flight. So they went as far as edible coffee cups, um, you know, getting rid of bags for anything like blankets or headsets, the seals for the trolleys, which are um, the security seals to show they haven't been tampered with. They changed those from being plastic. And they actually made a lot of effort on the ground, which has been a, a lasting effect as well. They are looking at swapping a lot of other things from plastic permanently. Um, but on the ground, they installed lots of water fountains and water points and gave people uh, bottles. Because right. you can imagine at Abu Dhabi airport uh, for baggage handlers people like that working on the ground it's extremely hot so they drink a lot of water yeah. um, so yeah. it, they've saved hundreds of thousands of, of plastic bottles from from doing that so we supply toothpaste tablets which are like a regular toothpaste um, you chew them brush your teeth as normal um, and they work um, as a regular toothpaste we sell a lot to dentists <clears throat> actually because they've been really excited about having a product which they can recommend to their customers because they get brought all kinds of weird and wonderful natural products that don't have any fluoride and the dentist goes oh no 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 please don't, please don't use that on your teeth it's horrifically abrasive or whatever so they were they they wanted well, when you find out about this toothpaste did you were you involved in the design of it or did you just find a supplier that was creating we, we, it we, we, we found um a supplier that was creating it and <clears throat> we were able to get it packaged in a different way um so we package it in cardboard and so that you know you don't have any plastic to throw away and we also supply separately and only once a tin so you can have a tin to take uh, your tablets with you rather than keep yeah. giving you a tin to recycle we just give you the cardboard box they're very popular with cabin crew actually because obviously they have to go through security lots and lots of times they don't have any liquid in them so they are also great for traveling so you read my mind (laughs) (laughs) well uh, you know i used to travel a lot for work (laughs) i I used to travel a lot for work and you've got the thing of getting the liquids out the bag but you've also got the thing of if you've ever arrived somewhere with a minty laptop or toothpaste all over your shirt or trousers it's not ideal oh yeah no (laughs) although unfortunately i tend to just spill it down me while brushing my teeth no no, no, we haven't got any solutions to that. We'll, we'll keep working on it, though. Okay. <laughs> Just be more coordinated. Yeah. <laughs> and what what's the most popular sort of product? What's everyone like most interested in? Because I I did see you've got um a a shaver razor. What, what's a man's razor? Yeah, yeah razor. Yeah, yeah we've got, we've got uh, it's, it is actually Unitex. It's um it's it's kind of going back to something that people used to do. So it's it's a safety razor. So it has an open single blade which comes not wrapped in plastic. Uh, the, we've become convinced, I think, really by marketing that we need hundreds of blades and and springs and mm. kinds of things to to make shaving work but the feedback we always get from people is that oh, this actually shaves really close and really nice and you know that you don't have all of these cartridges and everything else to dispose of afterwards so that's been a, a very popular product i think our shampoo and conditioner bars are the ones that have we really struggled to keep in stock to start with because there are lots of shampoo bars on the market but most of them are frankly pretty terrible some are quite good but for people to keep using them it's got to be a really good product and um my wife has long blonde completely naturally blonde obviously uh hair and um you know she wants a product that's gonna make her hair look good so we search an element of sarcasm in that i just want to clarify <laughs> no no it's completely natural <laughs> um, no, she... mine, is, mine is completely natural uh, yeah uh, <laughs> 
and I do struggle with finding the right shampoo. <laughs> exactly, and and you know, with all of these swaps, if you're only going to keep people away from the plastic if if it works for them, um, if it's yeah. you know, if, if it's a if it's a compromise, then people are not you know, unless they're really really committed, they're not going to do it, and that's that's a real principle of non-plastic beach is trying to get people to to have something that's as as good or better than what they had before. Yeah, absolutely. And what about um because you've got a little girl, I believe, haven't you? What about yes. what are you doing to kind of encourage um children, I guess, so they grow up in a and want to grow up in a more sustainable world? Uh I've yeah, we've we've got um a little girl and uh, a five month old boy as well. So um Oh yes, congratulations. Yeah, so two two under three is a is a handful. But uh, I think I think children are actually easier to convince on things like this because they don't have the history and the you know, the innate prejudice against new things. I think people are very worried about particularly something like, you know, I don't know, a toothpaste or something like that. You've probably used the same brand for your entire life. Um, so switching away from it is a is a bit of a kind of like, ooh, uh, do I want to do that? Whereas children, you just say, you're using this, and they're like, oh, great. And it's like, it's better for turtles. <laughs> ah, yeah, fantastic. You know, they're, 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 they're much more enthusiastic about it. And, you know, we, we do work with the, the Nature Trust of Malta, and we set a, a Turtly Awesome pack, which funds their turtle rescue, um, rehabilitation and release program. And they also do schools education. And they said that in households where the kids, they, they have, if households where you have contact with children, so if you're a grandparent, a parent, uncle and aunt, that kind of thing, the rates of recycling in Malta are measurably better amongst those groups because pester power has been used by educating the kids in school that recycling is a good thing and they go home and tell their grandparents off and their uncle and auntie off and their mum and dad off and not recycling and so they do it <laughs> so i think kids are a, 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 you know they're, they're they're much more open to new ideas and, and once you explain it to them they kind of go oh that makes sense and, and they don't have the, the baggage with it that, that stops people making progress i think sometimes I think it's the same with electric cars, you know, from from my experience in electric cars that, you know, kids are just kind of like, well, this is, you know, they'll they grow up with, you know, not having a, a noisy diesel engine. a car, it's not an electric car, is it? Yeah, <laughs> well, you mean you used to burn stuff? Oh, no, no, no. You know, so I think it's the, it's a similar thing. They, they'll adjust to it much quicker. Yeah, absolutely. I know it is, um, it's funny, I think, when kids are so accustomed to being in it, I've got friends that their kids have only ever driven in electric cars, and then they get into an internal combustion engine. And it's like, oh, what's this? <laughs> yeah, it's rattly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, slightly slow, a bit archaic. <laughs> so fingers crossed then they yeah. will uh, lead the way on electric cars. Absolutely. Well. I mean, I mean we, we made a pink bamboo toothbrush and Isla, our two-and-a-half-year-old's uh, life was made. You know, she's, that's the most exciting thing that had happened to her all week. You know, it was... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Amazing. so anyone listening uh can, can you buy the pink toothbrush on you can website? now yes yeah yeah there's a blue one as well there is a there's blue white green uh yeah we've got we've got four color kids colors we've got seven adult colors so um including mm-hmm. pink and white and blue and <laughs> etc so yeah um so i did actually have to google this the other day so Arthur, he's now 10 months old, and bless him, he's still only got a quarter of a tooth, <laughs> one quarter of one tooth. I was like, when do you start brushing this half a quarter yeah, tooth? That's, yeah, that is, that is, you know, we're waiting for our second toothbrush tester to become old enough to be useful to the business. You know, he's, uh, <laughs> at the moment he's a bit lacking in, in teeth for it. So, uh. 
Oh, brilliant. Uh, oh, great. Thanks, Gareth. Guys, before we, we are gone, we're running out of time because it always goes so quickly. Um, see, I told you half an hour would go in a, a split second. Dillbag, are you, first of all, Dillbag, do you have a plastic or a wooden toothbrush? Plastic. <laughs> well, and what are you going to do after you get off this <laughs> cool podcast recording? I think we're going to go for a blue, pink, and a white toothbrush. We can sort it out for you, no problem. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. I think you're going to have to buy them for the whole team now, Dilbag. No pressure. <laughs> Do they get that? We'll have to have Earth Day gifts. Actually, that's a good idea. Now, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You can take it <laughs> off my... That's a good idea. I'm going to do that. <laughs> but I mean, Dilbert, you must be shocked. You know, you travel more than all of us about how much plastic still used on planes. It is difficult because I do realize many times when we are traveling that, yeah, I'm conscious that what I'm doing may not be right. But then again, mm-hmm. it's a difficult choice within the work which we're trying to do. And I go back to Alejandro's comment that, yes, you need to break some eggs to make an omelet. So I think the bigger message of what we're trying to do is more important than some of these steps. So we are looking at it pretty consciously. Yeah. As a team, we do also try and see that we try and use airlines which have a lower impact or stuff like that. But on the plastic side, I do realize and I think we need to sort of pass this message on. And as a team, we are going to be working towards that I think the next part of it. So yeah, we still need to keep Julia happy. So there are new initiatives within our team to make sure we do that. Okay, so so to keep Julia happy, so we're all going to switch energy supplier to a green supplier. If you haven't already, I'm pleased to say that I have. We're all going to uh, walk, which we have to do anyway. We're not going to be driving. Uh, we're going to go and buy our wooden toothbrushes and toothpaste, plastic. Yeah. <laughs> Julia, what else should we be doing? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I mean, uh, it's already a great start. I think, uh, I mean, as as we were saying, uh, just uh, just changing a bit uh, your lifestyle and, and thinking. Sometimes it's just a question of common sense and uh, and trying to to take uh, I mean baby steps. But again, like uh, if if you use the multiplier effect, that's a big big impact. So yeah, simply like think about uh, small things that are can make a big difference uh, at home. And uh, and uh, as we were saying, well. I mean, we are flying a lot uh, and we realize that we can't impact uh, really on the plastic side. Then, I mean, personally, what I've decided is to, to go only for vegetarian option because at least I know that uh, I can reduce uh, on that perspective my personal impact because this is my choice. And uh, and that's it already. It's, it's, it's something. Absolutely. And just quickly, finally, um, for anyone that maybe works in big events, um, doesn't obviously have to be necessarily in sport, but is there any advice that you'd give to people working in events to become more environmentally aware? Uh, yeah, well, I think it's it's super important when you work in event to try and understand where your your big impacts are and to try and, and reduce them. I think, um, I mean, when you work in sustainability, there there are two kind of like key things, really where your impact lies, and so you need to do some calculation and and work uh, towards reduction measures, and also where the the perception lies, because sometimes the the perception of the public or the ecosystem is not really aligned to to what is the the biggest kind of like uh, key issue that you have from a sustainability perspective, and I think you need to consider them as in parallel because uh, mm-hmm. some people might be worried about the fact that uh, I don't know like um, I mean uh, they see they see a lot of uh, material going around when uh, when the biggest threat is um, I mean as we were saying all the 
all the freight that is uh, traveling around the world. So um, I think, yeah, the, the, I mean, the, the advice I would give is just to try and listen to your ecosystem and, uh, and work with them on what's really important and impactful. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Thank you, Julia. And um, Gareth, just going back to you said, I think your sort of non-plastic beach journey just started. Was it on the beach in the Maldives or Mauritius? Ma- Mauritius, yeah. So Mauritius, it was, um, okay. we're, we're both um, advanced open water divers. And so we've seen uh, the impact on reefs of human activity in general, but plastic in particular. Um, so that was a, that, that, that that that's where we started was it we've got we've got a Mauritian friend so we were staying in his house in Mauritius so we weren't in the tourist area so we could see the real efforts not just the you know gl- gl- glitzy hotel kind of like yes we're sure. pretending for the tourists it's okay <laughs> a handy friend to to, to have and um, but I was going to ask um, each of you and maybe that is your favorite place but where is your favorite place to visit around the world as we are talking about Earth Day. I just wanted to kind of finish on a reminder of why we love our planet Earth so much. And maybe everyone that's listening as well can think of their favourite place. So, uh, Gareth, do you want to kick it off? I'd probably say the Maldives, actually. That's where we, we honeymooned and that's where we, we did our advanced uh, open water uh, diving in the, in the Maldives. And the, the reefs there are just mind blowing. So, yeah, for me, it's, um, it's, it's not a very sustainable choice, but it is a, it is a lovely place. Um, Fortunately, with the cost cost of it, probably won't be that back that quickly. So <laughs> it's fine. Just it, take it one wooden toothbrush at a time. And Dilbag, where's your favorite place to visit around the world? To be honest, like I think with the amount of travel which we guys do in our work, with more than three hundred days away from home, for me it's home. Just come back home. That's a favorite place. I'm at my favorite place right now. Oh, that is lovely. That is uh, wonderful. I think a lot of people are actually saying that at the moment. I I, I think quite a few people are surprised how much they're enjoying being at home. Others maybe don't agree, but (laughs) there is definitely a a benefit to all of this. Um, And Julia, what about yours? Same as Dilba. Uh, my favorite place is home. Um, and to, to be fair, my home is probably also where I got my passion for sustainability because I'm, I'm coming from a region in France where uh, we have a, an exceptional kind of like a natural uh, conservation zone uh, with old volcanoes and so on. And that's absolutely beautiful. If you like nature, if you like outdoor sports, uh, that's the best place that you can get really. So it's, uh, yeah, that's home. Wonderful. Well, thank you guys. And so what's yours, Nikki? What's mine? It's a very good question. So I think for me, I went on my honeymoon down to Patagonia and that was very spectacular. And that and seeing going to the ice glaciers and parts which were melting, that sort of brought it home to me. It was not only stunning, it was beautiful, it was isolated it was landscape that I'd never seen in my wildest dreams and never thought I would be able to go and visit Um, but then it was also just a reminder of how fragile the planet is so I think for me yeah I've got a I've got a beautiful picture of Patagonia up well the the glacier that we went to Perito Moreno which is on um, up in my bathroom on my wall so it just reminds me (laughs) to do our little bit Perito um, Moreno is beautiful. I, I totally agree with you. That's a lovely place yeah. here. El Calafat and that area is lovely. Oh, and lovely oh, yeah. Now that's a place where you could walk and walk forever and never get bored. <laughs> You're absolutely um, right, yeah. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining. That draws us to the end. Um, and thank you, everyone, for listening to our special Earth Day episode. Um, please do put in the comments below, you know, tell us, 
where's your favorite place to visit around the world? Tell us what you're doing today to celebrate Earth Day. And I suppose this podcast was always just to remind us all about how we've got to fight for today for a better tomorrow. Thank you very much to Gareth, Julia and Bill Bag for joining me. And so that's it. Nothing left to say other than, of course, if you like what you've heard, please remember to subscribe and comment below. 